Well, if you, if you have a Bible, uh, I'm going to read uh, quite a bit of Scripture here. Uh, so you're excited about that. Exodus 19 is, will be where I begin. And also I'm going to read a portion out of Hebrews 12 as well. So we can start in Exodus 19 here in just a moment. But we're on our fourth message here in the book of Exodus. And we've been discussing Exodus and, and how God is so intentional about bringing His people out of slavery, out of bondage to the world, to sin, and bringing them into the fulfillment of all of His promises in their life. Now, what's so amazing to me about, about the book of Exodus is that, like I've said so many times, obviously, in these last three sermons, is that we end up finding our own story in the book of Exodus. When we read the Old Testament, it's not just a story about a bunch of old dudes who lived before that we're reading historically, but, it, but he's literally saying, God is saying, this is your story. This is an example written for you, showing you the path I want you to take, the journey that I want to lead you on. And so we notice in, in, in Exodus, what happens is, and we've talked about this, is that God is bringing them out of slavery to the Egyptians. And, and it's a picture of God bringing us out of slavery to sin and the bondage of the world and bringing us into His promised land. But the way that He ends up doing that in the, in the final, 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 they take a perfect spotless lamb and they sacrifice that lamb and apply the blood to the doorpost. And that's a picture of Jesus Christ. And when they apply that blood to the doorpost, the death angel passes over. The destroyer passes over, but it does not touch their home. And see, when the blood of Jesus is applied to us, that's exactly what happens. Death passes over. The destroyer passes over and does not strike us or smite us because of the sacrificial blood of Jesus Christ. Now, whenever they experience that in their life, that's a picture of our salvation. They come out to the Red Sea and and their enemies are chasing them down because oftentimes when we get saved, not everything gets fixed immediately, right? But see, we pass through that Red Sea the same way that we are baptized in water. It's a, the Bible says it's a picture of baptism. We're baptized in that water. So they pass through the Red Sea, and when they do, God drowns all of their enemies behind them. See, and for us, that's a picture of the fact that God drowns our past life behind us. He drowns the addictions, the fears, the bondage of our past, and says, I've washed that away from you. I'm bringing you into a new life, into a new journey. Now, when they get over on the other side, this is what often happens to us too when we get saved. And this is why some people struggle because they think, well, when I get saved, everything ought to be fixed immediately. But see, when you get saved, that's just the beginning of a journey and a process. That's why Jesus never said go into all the world and get people saved. He said go into all the world and make disciples. See, because he knew that when get, getting saved was not all there was to it. Because in, in our generation, I'll tell you, I can't tell you how many young people I know, uh, so many people that will tell you, well, I've been saved and baptized, but they're not living a Christian life. Because they've stopped this process of discipleship that God wants to bring them into. Now, they entered into the wilderness, which is the same place that we find ourselves as Christians. We get saved, man. Sometimes it feels like we're in a dry and thirsty land, and we're wondering when God's going to show up and do something. And they go out into the wilderness, and, and God immediately begins to deal with them graciously. Not harshly, not with anger, not with wrath, but he deals with them very graciously because as soon as they get into the wilderness, they begin to complain. Amen? Hallelujah. Anybody? You know what I'm saying? I mean, y'all, I know you do. I know you complain. I've heard you do it. And, and, and you know the Hebrew word for complain means to, means to spend another night? To me, to me, it's almost like, you know, you can choose to praise God or you can choose to complain, but if you choose to complain, you're going to spend another night in the same spot. 
You're not going to move forward. And so they choose to complain, and they say, Moses, what would you do bringing us out here into the wilderness? We should have just stayed in Egypt. At least we had stuff to eat, stuff to drink. Now we're out here with these bitter waters and nothing to drink. And God says to Moses, just throw your stick into that water, and the waters will be healed. And God re- revealed himself as the Lord who heals. That stick was a picture of the cross being thrown into the bitterness of our souls because of the sin that we've been living in. And then all of a sudden they go a little bit further. God provides for them. But now they get hungry and they say, man, we had all kinds of stuff to eat back there. They start complaining against the Lord again. They say, what are we going to eat out here? God rains manna down from heaven every day for them to eat. For 40 years he rains food from heaven. And Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I am that manna that came down from heaven in the wilderness. And see, but every time they complained and they sinned, God didn't rebuke them. God didn't get angry with them. He provided for them. And then the very next time they said, well, now we're thirsty again. What are we going to do? And God said to Moses, smite that rock with your, with your rod and out of it shall flow water. And the Bible says that that rock was Christ. See, God the Father took man and Christ the rock stood in our place and Christ was smitten and out of him flowed that water which was the Holy Spirit and they drank and they were filled and so we see that God is supplying all of our needs but here's the issue God never dealt with them except in grace that even though we complain even though we murmur and we argue and we bicker and we do all of these things God is still willing to provide for us and love us but see now we have to begin to understand what happens in the old covenant because everything changed at a particular mountain in Exodus 19 And that mountain's called Mount Sinai. And that's what this message is, is two mountains. Because if we're going to continue in our ministry, we have to understand the difference between Mount Sinai and we have to understand the difference between Mount Zion. And the Bible talks very specifically about these two mountains. And so we're going to discuss these two mountains. Now, like I said, they get out into the wilderness. God deals graciously with them until they come to Mount Sinai. And here's what happens. Let's read a few verses of Scripture if you can hang out with me. Chapter 19, verse 3. Says, and they come to Mount Sinai, and Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, You shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the children of Israel, You've seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. So Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before them all these words which the Lord commanded him. Then all the people answered together and said... Now this is a big part right here. Pay attention. All the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Now just keep that in mind. Then Moses brought back the words of the people to the Lord, and here's how the Lord responded to Moses. Behold, I come to you in the thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you and believe you forever. So Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, and then the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their clothes, and let them be ready for the third day. For on the third day the Lord will come down upon Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. You shall set boundaries for the people all around, saying, Take heed to yourselves that you do not go up to the mountain or touch its base. Whoever touches this mountain shall surely be put to death. That's kind of scary, isn't it? And then it says, Not a hand shall touch him, but he shall surely be stoned or shot with an arrow. Whether man or beast, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds long, they shall come near the mountain. Now, 
In Hebrews, let me read this to you. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18 through 24, here's what it says. For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched and that burn with fire. He's speaking about Mount Sinai. And to blackness and darkness and tempest and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, so that those who heard it begged that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. I love that. You ever, you ever come to a church service and say, Lord, please don't let him speak this to us anymore? Anybody ever been in one of them church services? Amen. Hallelujah. See, they beg the same thing. Lord, please don't let him speak his stuff to this, us anymore. We don't want to hear this stuff. And then, for they could not endure what was commanded. And if so much as a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. Here's, but you, you have come to Mount Zion and the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus the mediator of, a new, of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. And so what you begin to see in these two scriptures, if you put them side by side, is that the Bible is very intentional. Now this is the very reason that our Bible is broken down into an Old Testament and a New Testament. Because there are two covenants in the Scripture that God makes with man. God has made two covenants with man. And when we are, as a church, ministering to people, we have to begin to discern whether or not we're ministering from the Old Covenant or from the New Covenant, right? Now this does make big sense to, as we dive into it, but a lot of people have a hard time diff, making a difference between the two to a large degree in different areas. John 1.17 says, For the law was given through Moses... But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. See, Moses is a type of Jesus, but they stand in contrast. The law was given, it was impersonal, it was given by Moses, but grace and truth came personally through the person of Jesus Christ. So the first point in your notes is the church is built on Mount Zion and not Mount Sinai. The church is built on Mount Zion and not Mount Sinai. See, Pentecost, Pentecost and, you know, we talk about Pentecostals, right? And everybody says, it, it's so funny to me because, because people will ask me, I, I, I work at Best Blessing two days a week, and, and I, these, these new girls will come in, you know, and they're struggling with addiction and dealing with things. And they'll always ask me, they'll say, are you a pastor, right? What are you? Are you, are you a Pentecostal? Or are you a Baptist? Or what are you? And, and, and I'll say, well, what do you mean by Pentecostal first? And they'll say, well, you know, like handling snakes and wearing certain clothes and keeping your face shaved and stuff like that. I said, well, obviously I ain't one of them because I ain't got i got this beard on, on, my, on my face. But see, that's not what a Pentecostal is. That is a man-made religion. Those are rules. That's not, that's not what a, a Christian is. And so people have a very uh, strong misconception of a lot of biblical principles. Now, what Pentecost really is, let me lay it out for you, a little, make a little sense. On Passover, the day they applied the blood to the doorpost, that was called Passover. Fifty days later, that's why it's called Pentecost, because penta means 50. 
50 days after the Passover, immediately 50 days after, they come to Mount Sinai and the law was given. The Ten Commandments were given and they celebrated the giving of the law because God was making His covenant with the children of Israel. And that covenant was basically this. Here are Ten Commandments. And not only with that, but I'm going to give you other laws that you may follow. There's over 600 laws that God gave to the children of Israel. And when He gave them those laws, He basically said this. This is the covenant. If you can keep all of these commandments, then you shall be blessed. Everything will go well for you. You'll be blessed in the city, blessed in the field. Your children is going to be blessed. Everything's going to go well for you. But if you break one of these commandments, you're going to be cursed and it's going to be bad. Now, I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound like too good of a covenant. Because I know me and I'm liable to mess up. But see, God understood that, and that, that's why He gave the law. He didn't give the law to be hard on man, but he, he, he gave the law to expose man because in chapter 19, when Moses says, you're going to be a special people, you're going to be God's people, you're going to be holy, you're going to be a treasure, you know what the people respond with? Hey, everything God tells us to do, we'll do it. Don't worry about it. We got this. You know what that's called? It's called pride. It's called presumption. Because, and here's the thing, is that most people really truly believe that left to their own strength, they can live a good life. I'll never tell you how wrong you are. In your own strength, I don't care how hard you try, I don't care how much energy you put out, you're going to fail. You are not going to keep God's commandments, you're going to break them, and that's the reason God gave the commandments. The scripture says that God gave the law to expose man. To, to make man recognize that he needed a Savior, that he could not fulfill the law, that he could not make it. And so the Bible says that the strength of sin is the law. The reason sin is so strong in the world and it becomes strengthened is because there are laws against it, but no inward power to actually perform it. Does that make sense? So he gives that and they presume and say, Lord, we'll do everything. That's, that's self-righteousness. And, and most people really truly believe that they have the power to do these types of things. Now, as soon as they say, Lord, we do everything, just tell them that what we need to do, we'll do it. They didn't want a relationship with God. They just wanted Him to give them commands so that they could be good and He would bless their goodness. And so God gave them what they ordered. But here's what He said. He said, all right, Moses, is that what you want? That's what they want. I come to you in a thick, dark cloud. I'm coming to you in a thick, dark cloud with thunderings and tempests, and it's going to be very frightening. It's going to be very fearful, because if I deal with you according to your goodness, there's going to be much judgment. God has always wanted to deal with us, not according to our own goodness, but according to His goodness. See, because if He deals with us according to our goodness, we're all deserving of hell, we're all deserving of judgment, we're all deserving of the curse. But if He deals with us according to His goodness, then, well, then all that we deserve is mercy and grace and love. But see, there's a way to get to that point because He has to bring us to the end of ourselves. That's the problem with us. Now, they come in a thick, dark cloud, stormy wind, blazing fire, and there's a barricade. Literally, God says, set up boundaries around this. Don't let anybody get near to me. Now see, in the old covenant, if you came near to God, God was so holy that you'd be put to death. You understand that? Only one person, one time a year, by blood sprinkling on the mercy seat, could come into the holiest place, into the presence of God, right? But see, the Bible says in Hebrews 10 that Jesus, through His blood, 
has made a sacrifice and now it's a new and living way. In the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, see, when people came near to God, it was a fearful thing and they would be put to death. In the New Covenant, the more you come to God and the nearer you draw to Jesus, the more life you receive. It's a different thing altogether. Now, And here's how we recognize that people in our world today are actually still living under an old covenant mentality. Because when, when you, we, you know, we talk about inviting people to church. You ever invited somebody to church and they say, well, boys, I can't come down there. If I come in there, the walls will fall in. I've heard that at least 35 times here in Clay County. That's old covenant mentality. They believe that if they come into the presence of God, something bad's going to happen to them. But see, Jesus is saying, no, I've shed my blood so that all who will, whoever is thirsty, whoever's broken, whoever is weary. See, that's why the church, the spirit and the bride say, come. We don't care where you've been. We don't care what you've done. Jesus has made a way into the presence of God to experience his love, to experience his power. And the more you come, you won't experience death. You will experience life abundant. You know, when I first started seeking God, I had, I had addictions to drugs and alcohol and different things like that, sexual addictions, all the things that we think are just terrible in today's world and awful and all these things. And I started reading the Bible. I started praying. I remember one person actually said, you know that Clay, buddy, he'll get up there and get drunk and talk to you about the Bible. He can't do that. I was in bondage. I was, I was trying to find God. People are struggling with addiction in our world today. People are struggling with sin. People are struggling with bondage. And the, new, the old covenant says, well, they've got to get it right first. They've got to get it right, then they can come to church. And how many people do you know still live with that mentality? Well, you know, I would come to church, Clay, but i still got some things I'm trying to work out. They ain't never going to work them out until they get into the presence of God. That's why the church is a place that invites every single human being on the face of the earth, no matter what they're dealing with in life right now. I don't care if they're dealing with homosexuality, addiction. I don't care what kind of sin they're dealing with. It's not that we want them to stay in that sin, but it's that we know that they cannot get free from it until they come into the presence of God. So we're not putting up a barrier and saying, no, you can't come in here. We're opening the barrier up and say, Jesus has made a way. You can come into there. See, that's the difference between Zion and Sinai. Sinai says there's a barrier between this this holy place and and, and you get that mentality, right, of these things. And so so many people are still living under that old covenant mentality. See, Moses is compared with Jesus And the old is compared with the new covenant. The old covenant, it demands righteousness, but the new covenant imputes righteousness to you and imparts imparts it to you and gives you a transformed life. In the old covenant, God says, when you sin, I'll visit it not only to you, but to your third and fourth generation in your family. New covenant, God says, I will cast your sins as far as the east is from the west. I will forgive them and I will not remember them anymore. Old covenant is you have to put out as much self-effort as you can to try to be a better person. But new covenant is God puts his spirit in you and he transforms you from the inside and you naturally become a better person because you now have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Old covenant, they would shed the blood of goats and bulls and it would cover your sin 
for one year. New covenant, the blood of Jesus is shed, and it covers your sin for eternity. And it doesn't just cover your sin, it begins to uproot your sin so that you can have a transformed life. It's a totally different covenant that God has brought to us. And see, in the old covenant, they didn't have a relationship with God. They didn't want to hear God's word. They just wanted to have this far off, distant relationship. Well, God's out there somewhere, but I'm not going to go to hell when I die because I'm a pretty good person. How many people you know believe that? I'm a pretty good person, so I'm not, no, no way God would send me to hell. Let me tell you something. There are all sorts of people who believe they're good people, and right now, if judgment day were to come, they would go to hell because they don't have a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Because being good doesn't get you into heaven. Knowing Jesus Christ and receiving His sacrifice is what gets a person into heaven. And the problem is, is that the church isn't really preaching the gospel message as much as they're trying to get people to change their behavior. And the only thing that would get people to change their behavior is to preach them the gospel message. This is a big problem with our world today, especially in the political sphere, because we'll get on Facebook and talk about how wrong everybody is, but we won't share the love of Jesus Christ with them. Now that's a good word. And that's why there's a greater gap between the church and the world today is because we're very good at telling people where they're wrong, but we're not so good at reconciling them to God. And there's a big difference, see, because the Old Covenant is all about that type of a thing. Now, the first Pentecost on Mount Sinai, Exodus 19, like I said, the law was given. God gave the Ten Commandments. He entered into that covenant with them. But see, Pentecost in the New Covenant, you remember what was given? They were, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, this was, Jesus was crucified on Passover, right? His blood was shed just like they shed that blood of the Lamb. Fifty days later... When the day of Pentecost had fully come, his disciples were in one mind and one accord in an upper room, and the Spirit of God came like a mighty rushing wind from heaven. We see wind like we do at Mount Sinai. All of a sudden, tongues of fire or flames of fire set upon their head. We see the fire that was at Sinai. It's a recreation of Sinai. And they come into this new... And guess what? You know where they were at in that upper room? Guess where they were at? Mount Zion. They weren't on Mount Sinai anymore. They were at Mount Zion. And on the new Pentecost, what came? Not the law, the Spirit came. The Spirit of God came. Because even in the old covenant, God was preparing people. He was saying, look, this old covenant ain't working very well. And the reason it ain't working is because we're laying down all these laws and everybody is breaking them. Everybody's breaking them. Nobody's changing. Matter of fact, they're only getting more religious. They're trying to go to church more. They're putting on more laws. You know that the Pharisees, they had 600 and some laws, and rather than trying, they actually made more. That's why when Jesus came and did ministry on the Sabbath, they'd sit there and watch him and say, is he going to heal on the Sabbath? He'll break the law if he does that. See, religious people make more and more and more and more rules. It's not so much that they care that you have a relationship with Jesus that transforms you and all of a sudden the love and the peace of God and the joy of God begins to flow from your heart. What they want is you to keep their rules. I want you to wear a certain thing, do a certain thing, speak a certain way. And don't get me wrong, I'm not in any way condoning sinful behavior with this message, but I'm saying that oftentimes what a Pharisee or a religious person does is outwardly they look very good, but inwardly they are full of bitterness and hatred and bigotry and fear, and they are also full of sin because they need a relationship with Jesus. 
They need to know Jesus. They need to get free from their religious traditions and the things that bind them. And that's why Jesus was so adamant upon dealing with those people. But even in Jeremiah, for example, all the prophets, they begin to say, look, this old covenant's not doing well. God has showed us that he's going to get ready to institute a new covenant. And the laws, he's going to begin to write in their hearts and in their mind. He's going to take out their heart of stone and he's going to give them a heart of flesh and he's going to put his spirit on the inside of them. In the old covenant, see, we were so dirty and so filthy with sin that God couldn't live on the inside of us. He had to deal with us from the outside. But see, when Jesus' blood was shed, it makes you so clean that God himself says, that's a clean vessel, I can live in it now. I love that. See, when you put your faith in Jesus, he says, that old dirt, what used to be dirty, is now clean. Now I can live in it. That's the new covenant. Now, when Moses is on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights, he comes down from the mountain when the law was given. And see, the Bible says that the law is the strength of sin. The law is given. He comes down the mountain. And what does he see? Literally, he sees all the children of Israel. First, they had made a golden calf. And they said, these be your gods which brought you up out of Egypt. They just watched God bring them out of Egypt, but yet now they're worshiping golden calves. And not only that, they're worshiping these calves. They're all naked. They're partying like it's Woodstock or something, 1969. So they are getting down. They're boogieing. You know what I'm talking about? They got the music blasting. I'm telling them what they're playing, what kind of music they got. They got rap music going. And they're they're getting down. And when Moses comes down to the bottom of the mountain, he is so angry that he takes the Ten Commandments and the stone tablets and shatters them in front of the people. Because, see, that's the ministry of death. It's, It's this constant ministry of, man, people are doing wrong, doing wrong, doing wrong, and it causes anger in the ministers. Right? See, our ministry is not a ministry of anger. Our ministry is not one. Even though we see that the world, let me tell you something, the world is in sin. It's bad. People are struggling with all sorts of different things, but I promise you our anger is not going to lead them to God. Our frustrations with the world around us and and the difficult times that they're going on is not going to lead us to God. And so when Moses gets to the bottom of this mountain, now he institutes some ministers. He says this, he said, whoever's on the Lord's side, come over here to me. And a bunch of guys say, well, I'm on the Lord's side. I ain't doing this, you know, like we do. And they come over on the Lord's side and stand next to Moses. And Moses is standing there, and he institutes the Levites, and the Levites take their swords out, and they take their swords, and they just start slaying people right in the camp. And it says, the Bible says that 3,000 men died that day. Now watch this. The New Covenant... See, in the Old Covenant, Moses comes down. He gives ten commandments. He, he speaks ten things that you ought not do. You ought not commit adultery. You ought not lie. You ought not do all these things. And listen, the Bible says that these are good things. It's not that the Bible doesn't want us keeping them, but he just knows we can't keep them on our own. But so that's given on the day of Pentecost in the Old Testament. In the New Covenant, you come over to the book of Acts, and the Spirit comes, and when the Spirit comes, they're all filled with the Spirit, and they begin, Peter preaches the first Christian gospel message, and when he preaches the gospel message, 3,000 are not killed, 3,000 are saved. 
That's why the scripture says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6, that he's made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. And you've got to ask yourself, when you're, because look, whether you think you are or not, if you are a Christian, you are in ministry. Ain't no, way, ain't no way around it. When you get called as a Christian and God saves your soul, you are called into ministry and you have to ask yourself whether or not you are ministering death or you are ministering life to people. Because here's the problem. When we, be, when we get a little Bible knowledge in our head, oftentimes we'll come down off that mountain and we'll be ready to slay some people. Amen? Anybody been that way before? I tried to slay some people when I first started preaching. My dad probably remembers it. He probably thought, well, I mean, I know he's a changed boy, but my Lord. I mean, he's up there tearing people apart right now. I mean, that person's over there bleeding. You know what I'm saying? You get a little Bible knowledge and you just want to cut people down, man. You want to get on Facebook and talk about how everybody's wrong and everybody's in sin and everybody's going to hell. And everybody's going, right? That's the old covenant mentality. Now, listen, you got to understand, hell is a reality. Sin is a reality. Some things are wrong, some things are right, but the stance that we take against that and how we minister to people while they're in sin and while they're dealing with that is, is a totally different thing. How do we lead people to Jesus? How do we bring people to the cross? See, the Scripture says we've not come to Mount Sinai where they beg that the words not be spoken to them anymore. We've not come to Mount Sinai where if they touch God, they die. We've come to Mount Zion, the Bible says. This is where the spirit of life is given, and it transforms people. We've come to an innumerable company of angels. See, that's an alternative to the mass demonic powers that are leading so many people astray. It says, we've come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and a blood that speaks better things than that of Abel. Now, see, what he's saying is, is in, is in Genesis, you remember Cain slew his brother Abel, and his blood was spilled on the ground. And God said, your brother's blood cries to me from the ground. It cries to me. Blood has a voice. Blood has a voice. It speaks something. Your blood has a voice. CSI people, they'll tell you that. Your blood says something. There's something in your blood that is different from everybody else. It speaks something. But see, when Abel's blood was shed, here's the reason it was shed. Because both these young men brought a sacrifice to God. One, Cain brought his own works to God. He brought the fruit of the ground. He, he worked some stuff up. He tilled the ground. He worked, and he brought his own works to God, and God didn't accept it. Abel, on the other hand, he took one of the first flocks of his, of one of the, one of his lambs, he shed the blood of the lamb and he offered that to God and God accepted it. Now see, the reason being is because, here's the truth, God will not accept your goodness. You say, well, you know, I, don't really, I ain't really involved with Jesus, I ain't really involved in church and all that stuff, but I'm a good person. Doesn't matter, he won't accept it. The only thing that he will accept is when you put faith in the sacrifice that he's made for you in Jesus Christ. Now, here's what, here's what the problem is, is that when we preach that, you know who gets mad? Religious people who like to bring their own works to God. And Cain got mad at Abel because he brought what God wanted, the sacrifice of his son. See, Christians point to Jesus. Religious people point to their own holiness. The reason I stand before you today is because not because I'm good, it's because Jesus is good and he saved me and he transformed my life. I could not perform one good thing were it not for Jesus living on the inside of me and him giving me a relationship with him that works day to day and is dynamic. And so Cain slays Abel 
And his blood of Abel begins to cry to God from the ground. And that blood is crying out vengeance. That blood is crying out murder. That blood is crying out judgment. That blood cries out, man, y'all deserve hell because of what you have done. That blood cries out. But see, what happens is, is that Jesus comes and he is the mediator of a new covenant. And his blood speaks something totally different all together. His blood speaks redemption. His blood speaks forgiveness. His blood speaks life, it speaks reconciliation, it speaks deliverance, it speaks love, and it says, you know what, no matter where you've been, I want you to come back home to me. I love you that much. You are my son, you are my daughter. There is no distance, no gap. Whatever sin you've committed, I'm ready to forgive it and transform your life. Just come back home to me. That's what Jesus' blood speaks. It speaks something far greater than the blood of Abel. We've come to a different mountain. And see, this, this, this mentality as Christians begins to change the way we, we, we look at ministry. You know, you, you go to church sometimes and, and you'll go... <clears throat> so many people, if we are serious about reaching our community, if we really are, we have to recognize that, let me tell you something, most people ain't like us. They don't dress like us. They've got addictions that they cannot get rid of on their own. When they come into these doors, they're afraid to come into these doors, first of all. Many times when I invite people, one of the other things they say is, we ain't got nothing to wear. I said, well, if you come, I'll wear a T-shirt and shorts. And I preach. Because I don't care about what you wear. It's got nothing to do with it. I don't care about how you look like. I don't care if you got drunk last night. I want you to hear the message of Jesus Christ because he loves you right where you're at. And it may take a while for you to get free but if you'll keep coming, he'll keep infusing life. And if you'll keep coming to Jesus, he'll keep giving you power. You keep coming to Jesus, he will forgive you and heal you and cleanse you and give you new life. Just do not stop coming. Don't let there be any barrier in our ministry. Let the doors always be open to every single person. And what if we as a church could begin to change the mentality of the world and the community around us so that they think not, well, I can't go to church because they might judge me. But they begin to say, you know what? The one place we can go is City of Hope church because I know they'll love us down there I know there's no barriers down there I know I can go in as I am and they will love me and I do need help because most people let me tell you something most people aren't just totally wicked sinners that want to stay in bondage most people are in bondage and they want to come out they just don't know how to get there that's the truth and they're manifesting all sorts of evil and they speak evil and they do bad things and they continue in a sinful pattern, but they're bound to it. I've been there. See, that's why your testimony is so important. That's why you as a minister of the gospel, you can go out and say, look, I used to be this way and I found out how good Jesus was. And you know what? He took me as, as I was. And it took me a while. Like I didn't get better right away, but I, I kept coming. I got involved in church. I went to small group. I started doing these things and slowly but surely my heart began to change. There's nothing more powerful than you being able to share that with somebody. Just being able to say, look, Jesus is better than church. Jesus is better than the religious system that Clay County has created. We got a thousand churches everywhere, and so most of them are preaching condemnation. See, that's my second point, is that our ministry is the ministry of reconciliation and not condemnation. It's a totally different ministry than what people think. You know, when I first started preaching, just like I said, whether, I don't know why, I, and I'm not even going to say why, but for various reasons, I, I struggle with certain things. And every now and then, I would get up and preach a very, very harsh word, right? 
And it would just be coming down on people. And don't get me wrong, there are times when the message needs to bring correction into people's lives. It has to. If there's no correction, we're just going to have people walking around going crazy constantly. There is a level of correction, but there's a difference between loving correction and condemnation. There's a big difference. You know, when we're ministering, if, I, if I'm ministering to people who are addicts, for example, or whatever, and I do, and let's just say I go in there, what should I share with them? The love of Jesus and the gospel, or should I go in there and say to them, you know what, you keep on doing what you're doing five seconds on the other side of eternity when the flames of hell are licking your never-dying soul. We, we like to joke about that, right? And you're burning, you're all going to burn in hell. You think that right there is the ministry of life or condemnation? Now just consider it. Because here's the thing. Now, and here's what I know as a preacher. I could have come in here this morning and preached wide open about liberals. And I could have preached wide open about homosexuality. And I could have preached wide open about sin and sinners. And I could have said, you know what, we're against that. And I probably could have got the best hand clap that I've gotten in weeks. Because there ain't nothing that unites a group of Christians about what we're against. And that's the wrong spirit. And sometimes it's very hard to distinguish between the Holy Spirit and the unholy spirit. Sometimes it's hard to distinguish between the Holy Spirit and the spirit of Satan, which is literally just the spirit of accusation. Satan's name means accusation. And we go around accusing people and accusing people. And it's very hard to do. And you know what? People say, well, you know what? I just felt the Spirit in there this morning. I preached a message one time. I'm going to say it's probably the most condemning sermon that ever came out of my mouth. And after I preached it, I had a woman, two or three people came up to me. Old-timey fashion, old-timey. You know what I'm saying? Came up to me. That was anointed. They had never said anything about my sermons before. But whenever I came and brought the hammer down, they said, now that was anointed by God. And you all know what I'm talking about this morning. Why? Why why did they think that was anointed? You know what? People thought the Apostle Paul was anointed when he was going around breathing out threats and murder in the name of God, coming in the name of God and in the name of the law and putting people to death. And I guarantee you people would have said that Paul's anointed. He's a man of God. You know what? He came to find out that he was persecuting the church of Jesus Christ. And Jesus said to him, Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? The Lord came to me one time after a sermon and he said, Clay, Clay, why are you persecuting me? That's true. And I, and I said, what are you talking about, Lord? I'm, bringing the, I'm preaching the word. I'm bringing the people into the kingdom. You know what I'm saying? I'm laying the law down on them. He said, that's exactly right. You are, you're laying the law down on them. And you are making a gap. They, when they leave, they feel further from God than they did when they came in. When they leave, they don't feel cleansed. They feel guilty. They feel dirty. It's not that you can't correct them. Some matter of fact, you have to correct them. The Bible says, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, rebuke, correct, with all long suffering and teaching, you have to do those things, but there's a way that it needs to be done. And whenever there's correction that comes, see, at the end of that correction is always life. It's always reconciliation. God never comes with a word of correction to you or conviction to you without saying, but the reason I'm doing this is because I want you to draw closer to me. I want to give you life. And if it puts distance between you and God, then it's a word of condemnation, right? And, and we have to begin to recognize that on how we deal with people and how we love people. You guys ever met a minister of condemnation? 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse, nine, verse 7 through 9. And, and you know, we say, well, now Clay, don't be calling out the ministers, you know. I mean, come on, they're, they're doing the best they can. And, 
and, and this kind of thing. You know who Jesus called out more than anybody? It wasn't prostitutes. It wasn't drunks. It wasn't any of those people. You know who he called out? He called out the ministers. He said, you guys put heavy burdens on people and you yourself won't even lift one of them with a little finger. See, the, our ministry is not to put heavy burdens on people to make them feel this gap and this distance and this barrier between God. Our ministry is to reconcile people to God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 7 through 9, Paul says, But if the ministry of death written and engraved on stones was glorious so that the children of Israel could not steadily look at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away. How will the ministry of the Spirit, Spirit not be more glorious? For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. And that's just to let you know that I ain't preaching heresy up here this morning. That Paul refers to the old covenant ministry of the Ten Commandments written and engraven on stones as the ministry of condemnation and the ministry of the gospel message of Jesus Christ as the ministry of, of, of the Spirit and the ministry of righteousness and life. See, so we have to begin to shift our mind about how these things... We have to begin to ask ourselves, what is the fruit of our message? When we talk to somebody about Jesus, is the fruit of our message fear, guilt, manipulation, shame... Or is it love, peace, reconciliation, transformation, and life? In the same book, chapter 5, Paul says, look, you're a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And he says, and God has reconciled us to himself, not imputing our trespasses against us. That means that when God comes to a person, he says, look, I love you. I want you to be reconciled to me, and I'm not holding your sins against you. I'm just asking you to confess them and forsake them so I can wash you clean and you can come to me. And, God, and then Paul says, God has given us now this ministry of reconciliation. And he says, therefore, we plead with people, please be reconciled to God. There's no barriers. There's no gaps anymore. Be reconciled to God. And so we have to ask ourselves, are we looking to drive a wedge between us and other people? Or are we looking to build a bridge and, and, and lead them into a way where they can come to Jesus? See, God has given us the Holy Spirit, right? He's given us the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the spirit of advocacy. The Bible says that he is... Uh, the comforter or the helper. And the word there literally means that he's one who is called alongside of us to help us, to comfort us, to aid us, to strengthen us. So if we're filled with the Holy Spirit, when people are going through difficult times, you know what we ought to be doing? Coming alongside of people. We ought not be standing over top of people, accusing them, condemning them, putting them down, cutting them down. We ought to be coming alongside of people, walking them along this journey, leading them into life, leading them into peace and truth. Can I get an amen? Y'all about fell asleep on me, but I need one right there. That's good truth, isn't it? This truth right here that I'm preaching to you transformed my ministry, transformed my life because I begin to see things differently. I begin to understand how God wants to deal with people. And Jesus, Jesus laid it out perfectly. See, here's the thing about the Old Testament. The Old Testament is beautiful, but it's a little bit tricky. Because the Old Testament is, is the story of how we get to Jesus, but it's not a pattern for ministry. See, we are not Elijah. We do not call fire down from heaven on people who disobey us. When, even when Jesus went into Samaria, he goes into Samaria and he's preaching and they don't receive him. They reject Jesus. You know what John says? Hey, Lord, you want us to call down fire from heaven on these people? And Jesus turns to him and said, John, you don't know what spirit you're of. 
He said, the Son of Man has not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And see, Jesus' ministry is different than an Old Covenant ministry. People get into reading them Old Testament prophets. They believe they've been called to be an Old Testament prophet. And they're calling down fire on everybody. Hallelujah. You know what I'm saying? They are in the wrong covenant. They need to move on over into this new thing. They need to come off of Mount Sinai and quit bringing fear and judgment and condemnation on people and come over into Mount Zion and let the life of Jesus Christ begin to flow from their ministry. And that's what we have to do as a church. We have to move from Sinai to Zion. And if we do, we're going to find out that my third and last point, that the ministry of Jesus is contagious. You believe that? It's contagious. When you really, you know what? Church doesn't spread that much. Religion, it doesn't spread that much. But when the gospel of Jesus Christ is truly being preached, and not only that, but truly being lived, it spreads. In the book of Acts, you know that they went into Asia, and in a little under two years, they preached the gospel to every soul in Asia. That's mind-blowing to me. We haven't even preached the whole gospel to every soul in Manchester. And there ain't even but about a thousand people in here. You laugh. That might have been a word of condemnation, right? <laughs> I just think it's interesting. Matthew 8, 1 through 4. Matthew 8, 1 through 4. It says, when he had come down the mountain. Notice Jesus is coming down a mountain. We're talking about mountains here. And it says, great multitudes followed him, and behold, a leper came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately, his leprosy was cleansed. Now see, this is what's so crazy about this, is that for the Jewish people, leprosy was the living symbol of sin. I mean, it was horrible. It was a loathsome disease. It was dangerous. It was contagious. It spread like wildfire. And it would literally eat, the, it would eat people's noses off and their ears off and just consume their entire flesh and body. It was painful. It was an awful disease in their time. And it was so bad that in the Levitical law, Moses and them folks wrote down laws on how to deal with leprosy. Leviticus 13 and 14, you can go back and read it. But if anybody even had a spot of leprosy on their skin, they would come before the priests or the pastors and show themselves, and the priests would inspect them. I'm glad I wasn't a pastor back then, you know. I mean, we inspect people, but not quite that intimately. And so they would inspect them and look at the leprosy on their body and check it out. And if they had leprosy, listen, they were completely cast out of society. They could not come into the temple They could not worship God. They were deemed unclean. And if they came into public for any reason, they had to shout out, unclean, unclean, unclean. Now see, in Old Covenant, see, sometimes we label certain people unclean, unworthy. Well, then people are just pitiful. They made their bad dang life. It's the same mentality. And so they would shout unclean. They'd be cut off from their family. They'd be outcasts of society. And they were the living symbol of sin for Jewish people. But in, the, in this, in, here's the thing. Anytime, in the Old Testament, anytime somebody who was clean touched something unclean, well, then they were ceremonially unclean. They couldn't worship, couldn't do anything. You couldn't touch a dead body. You couldn't touch anybody that was leprous. You couldn't do anything. If you touched a leper or if a leper touched you, both of you broke the law and you were stoned to death. That's pretty hardcore, right? So, so the law 
did that. Now, here's what's so interesting about this scripture, though, is it says that before Jesus did this and he came down the mountain, and in Matthew 5, verse 1, three chapters earlier, it said he went up a mountain. So he goes up on top of this mountain, and you probably know what he did on this mountain. He preached a sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. Now, while he's up here, there is no doubt about it that all of the children of Israel, all the Jewish people who were listening to him preach this message were thinking about Moses on Sinai. And why were they thinking about Moses on Sinai? One, because he was on a mountain, and two, because Moses gave the law on Sinai, and Jesus begins to preach, and he says things like this. Jesus says, don't think that I've come to destroy the law. I've not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill the law. And then he begins to preach the law. And he begins to say, look, you've heard it said that you shall not murder. But then, watch this, this is awesome. He intensifies the law. He makes it worse. He says, you've heard it said don't murder. I say unto you, if you're angry at your brother without a cause, you're in danger of hellfire. I thought, my God, I thought it was bad in the old covenant. Be done. And then he goes another step. This is probably one of the worst ones, especially when you're about an 18-year-old boy. He says, you've heard it said you shall not commit adultery. I say unto you, if you look upon a woman with lust, you've already committed adultery with her in your heart. They're right there ought to convict you. Right? That's what it's designed to do. He goes a little further. He keeps, he keeps ministering, ministering these words. He says, you've heard it said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say unto you, don't resist evil and turn the other cheek. He's saying, you've heard it said that if somebody comes up and punches you in the face, you just punch them right back. Somebody comes up and and takes your eye out, you pluck their eye out too. He says, no, not anymore. He says, somebody punches you in the face, you turn them the other cheek. You don't resist evil. He's intensifying the law. He says, you've heard it said, love those who love you and hate your enemies. He says, but I say to you, love those who curse you, love those who hate you, and bless those who curse you. Pray for those who despitefully use you and persecute you. And he's laying these down, and then all of a sudden, his last word, he says, hey, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And you know what? I mean, what, imagine you just preach that and then just drop the mic. Be perfect, y'all. See you next Sunday. Be a great word, wouldn't it? Now, see, he preaches that, and then it says he comes down off the mountain, and all of these people who just heard this sermon are following him down the mountain. And they're like, gone, son. He just laid the awfulest law on us that ever was. And they come down the mountain, and as they're falling down the mountain, all of a sudden they see a leper at the bottom of this mountain, and every one of them probably took a step back. Because one, they said, that's contagious, and two, that dude's breaking the law. I bet Jesus is about to stone him. Because, because Jesus, hey, Jesus, you know what? Nobody ever, ever kept the law until Jesus Christ. He fulfilled the law perfectly. He kept the law perfectly. But at this point, it seems that he breaks the law. But the truth is, he was bringing us into a transition. And that's why he said, don't think that I've come to destroy the law. I've not come to destroy it, but I've come to fulfill it. And what he means by that is, I kept all of the righteous requirements of the law perfectly, yet I suffered your punishment the same way that you deserve punishment. And there was a reversal. And we moved from law into grace. See, law demands something from us that we cannot do on our own. But the grace of God enables us by the power of the Holy Spirit to do what we could not do before and to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And the grace of God invites us in openly in spite of our current condition no matter what we're in. The law says, no, you can't come near, you've sinned. Grace says, no, come near and I will take care of your sin. 
I will uproot it. I will destroy it in your life. The more you spend time with me, the more I will change you. The more I will transform you. Grace transforms. It doesn't just overlook sin and say, don't worry about it. Just keep sinning. Have a good life. Don't worry about it. Jesus took it. That's not grace. As any grace that says you can continue in sin is demonic. The grace of God enables you. It empowers you. It transforms you, period. If it's not doing that, it's not God's grace. See, because when Jesus looks at this leper, he doesn't just pat him on the head and say, well, you got leprosy. Sorry about that, but we love you and stuff. He doesn't do that. Now, he reaches out and breaks the law in a sense because he wasn't supposed to touch that leper. And when he touches that leper, well, according to the old covenant, Jesus would become unclean. But that leper falls down at his face and he says, Lord, if you're willing, I know you can make me clean. See, a lot of times we know, well, God's able to do this thing, but is he willing? And Jesus says, no, I'm absolutely willing. And he reaches out and touches him. And get, and get this, he didn't have to touch him. In the same book, not far down the road, he sends his word forth and heals a centurion servant. He didn't have to touch him. He chose to touch him to prove something. And when he touched him, immediately he was completely cleansed. Now, for these people watching that, that was a total change in, the, in their worldview. But see, what Jesus was saying to them is, you just heard the law. And what that law did to you was it exposed you. And in your heart, you begin to recognize that this leper is really you. Because on, on the inside of your heart, the law causes you to understand that you are sinful. That you're filthy on the inside. That you have a disease that is far worse than leprosy and it's called sin. And you need somebody to cleanse you of that disease. Otherwise, you're going to be an outcast. Otherwise, you're not going to have any entrance into the, into the things of God. Otherwise, you're not going to have any way to have fine life. You're going to be completely broken down. And it's going to eat you until it completely destroys you. And not only that, it's going to be contagious. It's going to spread. It's going to get worse. And Jesus touches him. And for the first time in human history, the clean makes the unclean clean. And see, as Christians, this ought to be our ministry. This ought to be our ministry that we begin to understand that Christians aren't the type of people that just kind of stand over in a corner and huddle up on Sunday morning and meet together and try to stay away from all the unclean stuff. No, we ought to have a ministry where we get in among people from various walks of life and allow our righteousness and our light and our purity to shine forth because our cleanness will rub off on them rather than their uncleanness rubbing off on us. Greater is he who is in me than he who is in this world. I'm not going to be overcome by the sin that is around me the, the righteousness of Christ in me is going to overcome the sin in those around me. That's a different way of looking at things, but this is new covenant ministry, and the ministry of Jesus is contagious. Amen? Y'all can come to the music. Jesus is literally the most contagious element in the universe. And we have to begin to understand that if we're going to grow in the ministry that he has for us. But you know, what I like about this last part is the leper, the reason he came to Jesus is he knew he had nowhere else to go. And the law, it does that to us as well. It makes us recognize our great need, that we've got nowhere else to go. He came in a place of desperation. You know, sometimes we say here that God gives law to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And it's only when we come to the end of ourselves. That's what the law was designed to do. It was not designed so that you would keep it perfectly on your own strength. It was designed to bring you to the end of yourself and say, God, I need help. I need you to fill me with your spirit. I need you to change me. And maybe in your life right now, that's what you need to do. In some areas of your life, you're still trying to control things. 
You're still trying to make things happen for yourself in certain areas. And God is saying, I need you to come to the end of yourself on this. Because as long as you try in your own effort, and it's not by faith, you're going to find out that you're going to fail. We're not called to live by our own works. We're not called as Christians to live in our own strength. We're called to be poor in spirit. That means we recognize, Jesus, I don't have anything without you. I've got to have you. I've got to have your strength. I've got to have your spirit. I've got to have your love. And so no matter where you're at right now this morning, that's the, that is the position that he wants your heart to be in order for, for this to take place. Now, if you would, just bow your heads just for a minute.